0: Amen. Thank you, Terry. You know, we've been talking so much, and we will always continue to talk about it because we serve a good, good dad. And he created us in, him, in his image, mothers and fathers, male and female. We were birthed into the family of God. And so anywhere we see the kingdom extending, we're going to see a family extending, and you know, in order for there to be healthy families, there to be a healthy family, there has to be mothers and fathers. And so we're consistently talking about what it means to be born into the family of God as a son or a daughter, and then also what it becomes then to grow up. And, and you guys know that a mature follower of Christ becomes not just an adult. See, an adult has not yet understood where they are in that family, but you become, whether it's by giving birth, um, but... By virtue of being a part of God's family, you become a mother or a father. You are not a mature, I am not a mature follower of Christ until I begin to understand that God has brought me in to become a mother or father, someone who is helping to disciple other orphans into becoming sons and daughters so that they too can become mothers and fathers. Does that make sense? And that's the whole story. That's the plot. That's what we're doing. That's what the Father has invited us into. And I just want to honor Terry today because Terry and Chrissy continue, like all of us here, but they continue to look and see, God, where is the sphere of influence that you've given us? And they love Harrisburg. They love Junction City, but they love Harrisburg. And as they continue to serve there in one of the cities that God has planted them in, then they serve on the school board and they serve in the, in the athletic department. And they're there as mothers and fathers of a city. And I just want to honor you guys. Thank you for your faithfulness to our cities. And Lord, I pray your continued blessing. Lord, I know that uh, that can be a thankless job sometimes, as you hear so often from those who are not happy with what you're doing, but unhappy with what you're doing. And I say in the name of Jesus, be, be encouraged, be blessed, be filled, be tenacious as you release God's love in your spheres. Amen? Amen. We spoke last week about honor, and I, f- I felt like this week, I-, I-, I felt like the Lord just he impressed upon my heart, I want you to speak about honor a little bit more. And-, and the truth is, I don't think we can really get away from honor, you know, it's kind of like you open up the Bible, and you're going to find some themes in there, and one of those themes is going to be love, and you're, you're just really not going to get away from that, are you? And I think another one of those themes you're going to see, and we've already talked about it, is family, and you're just not going to get away from that, are you? And grace and honor. And so I think anytime that we speak, we're going to see some, to see some repetition in that area. We're going to see that because this is one of the pillars of the kingdom of heaven is honor. And, and, it's, and you know, honor really, I've heard it said, and I think it's a great, a great way to say it, that honor is the vehicle that love drives in. Honor is the vehicle that love drives in, because when you're honoring someone, how can they help but be able to, at very least, listen to what you have to say? But if, but if I find myself being dishonoring, if I find myself being disrespectful, and really what does that mean? It means that I'm treating you as though you have less value than God gave you, then why would you want to receive a message of, quote, love from me? And so I want to talk a little bit more about honor. And I want to come at it from an interesting interesting, uh, angle today. And that angle that I'm going to come at it is is from Matthew 18. I'm going to read through the entirety of Matthew 18 with you. But as we go, I'm going to make some observations. And and, uh, I'm going to point out a few things that I believe that Jesus would like us to hear. And that he would like us to apply in our lives right now. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I love this question. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Now this is an interesting statement on a lot of different levels, but let me point a couple things out. Number one, they literally asked Jesus, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is speaking of this kingdom that's coming. Everywhere they go, Jesus keeps saying, uh, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they're excited because they see Jesus and he's healing the sick and he's casting out demons and he's raising the dead and he's healing blind eyes and he's, he's doing all kinds of amazing things. He's multiplying food. And so these guys are looking at a very real kingdom and they're talking to a very real Jesus who is the son of God. He's the Messiah come to save them, and they're looking at this, and they're going, this is awesome. I want to get in on the ground level of this startup company. And so they say to him, and Jesus has chosen them, hasn't he? He's come to each of them, and he says, hey, come follow me and they left everything and they followed him. So it wasn't inappropriate. This isn't an inappropriate question. This is actually the right question. Jesus wasn't irritated. He wasn't saying, well, you big jerk. What do you think wanting to be the greatest? He's going, that's a fantastic question. I would that everybody in the kingdom for all of time ask that question because it is the right question and I'd like to give you the right answer. And so he calls a child to himself and he says, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, humble yourself. become like this child. Become someone that will allow my kingdom to come in them. Allow yourself to be someone that's teachable, who is able to humble themselves as a little child. You know what amazing family? Pride is your enemy. Pride is my enemy. Pride is our enemy. Pride is the is the is the, the that horrible terrible puffed up self-serving self-aware self-will vile thing that raised up in the heart of Satan, is it not? Where he said, "I want some of the glory. I want to see what it tastes like." He said, "I want some of that. I will gather it for myself." And in that moment, pride filled Satan's heart to where he was thrown out of heaven. This is the most honored angel in the kingdom. He was the most beautiful. He, he was the angel of light. He still masquerades that way. But when pride entered his heart and he said, doesn't God do who I am? Doesn't he see what I'm doing? I mean, hello. And what happened? He fell. He fell from grace. We have that same temptation presented to us every day. It it emerges in different ways, but I want to suggest to all of us here that this is the exact same temptation that Satan dealt with, we deal with. You guys know we're made in God's image, yes? We're made in his image. We're literally carrying his glory. And the same temptation of allowing pride to enter our heart to where we then demand of one another, don't you know who I am? Haven't you seen what I've done? How dare you treat me like that? Do you, do you even see me right now? I wish you could see yourself dishonoring me right now. Okay, are you feeling this? You guys with me? None of you have felt this way before. Good, good. This is, I'm just talking about myself then. It's perfect. So he says to us, if you would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you have to humble yourself. You have to set those things aside. And he begins to unpack this. And, and I want to point out, I have one thing that, I've, that I thought, you know what? I want to talk about this, as a, in this in this particular section. Is that he says to them, you must humble yourself as this little child and you will become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In order to humble ourselves and become teachable like a little child, we do not get to drag our favorite political bent into the kingdom of heaven. We don't get to drag our favorite spiritual understanding into the kingdom of heaven. We don't get to bring our pet causes into the kingdom of heaven. None of them gets to allow itself to become preeminent in the kingdom of heaven, everything that we bring, we must bring everything and humble ourselves in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch this? Many of you in here care very dearly about the environment, and you should, because God said, this is the earth, care for it, steward it, cultivate it. So you need to do that. So don't, you know, poison the fish and don't burn the place down and, and, and don't forget to cultivate the forest so that when they light on fire, you don't end up losing everything. Selah. So we have a responsibility, but let me tell you something. The earth is not your mother. So you can't bring that into the kingdom. If you believe the earth is your mother, then that means that she is to be honored above you. But the earth is not your mother. The earth is your servant. And the earth, too, is groaning for the revelation of the sons of God. We are bringing restoration, but we have to bring that worldview into submission to the kingdom of heaven. And so so also, we must bring every uh, cause that we're a part of. Even those things have to come under submission to the king himself. Say, Lord, I've always thought this way, but I need to know, honestly, you said if I'm gonna enter the kingdom of heaven, I have to take this cause. And you, and you know what, beloved? They're all good causes. I'm not mocking the causes. They're important. But you can't live for a cause. You have to live for the king. And then he will bless you, honestly, probably in that cause. Very likely that burning thing in you came from him. Justice, that was his idea. Equality, that was his idea. It's called honor. It's called respect. That was his idea. But he does not bow to his core values. His core values flow from him. And if I come in and I and I require other believers to bow to my my causes, my my favorite pets, and I make them into demigods that you have to bow to in order to to relate with me in order to be a part of this family. You're no longer the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, you are not humbling yourself like a little child and allowing the father and mothers and fathers through the word under the unction of the Holy Spirit to teach you so that you too can become a son or a daughter and then a mother and a father and do the same. Amen? But we haven't even gotten past verse what? Four. And it's already good. And it's already good. Good. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hell. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that's straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This whole line of teaching that Jesus gives is pretty extraordinary. And the truth is, is that in the spirit of being able to find things in your Bible, they've done a really good job putting all these headings so that if you want to find one particular story, you can just go to the chapter and look for the heading and find, oh, there we go, yeah, oh, the parable of the lost sheep. Good, it's right there, perfect. There's a little heading there and a little break between the words. And that's beautiful, it's wonderful. But you know what it also does for us is we actually think that these are like 18 different teachings that Jesus gave. The truth is, it's one teaching that Jesus gave. And he said it in this order. And the writer, when they were writing it down, they said, oh, I wanted to remember this. And so they wrote it all down as a story, like we would. Correct? If you write a letter, do you have like 19 different letters in your letter? Not usually. You usually have a couple thoughts and you put them down. Are you guys with me? Yes. So when we read this, we need to understand that this whole teaching is one teaching. Now, we can extrapolate, pull a lot of things out of it. But I'd like to teach it as one teaching today. So they said, who wants to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he said, bring a little child to me. A little child comes, and he says, this is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be great in my kingdom, humble yourself like this little one. And further, I tell you, if somebody offends or causes this little guy to stumble, I'm telling you, it's better off if they were thrown into the ocean. In fact, I take it so seriously, is if you guys are causing little ones to stumble, and and it just happens to be your right hand that keeps causing them, well, just cut it off. Jesus was so hardcore. <laughs> Just cut the thing off. It's better to be without that hand than to get into the kingdom, than to not get into the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, look, it's really, 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 really important that you get into the kingdom of heaven. So you probably better humble yourself like little, one of these little ones. But be really careful that you don't offend these little ones because your father carries very, very deeply about them, which means you need to carry very, very deeply about them because if you wanna be a part of my kingdom, you have to care about what I care about. That makes sense, right? For in his family, wouldn't it make sense that we would wanna care about what dad cares about? And so he's saying, here's what I care about, these little ones. I care about the things that you don't think I care about. This is during a season of time, he's saying, it doesn't matter, this person hasn't even accomplished anything yet. How many of you know that kids haven't had the opportunity to accomplish much, right? And how many of you know that when we're born again, what does the word born again bring to mind? A baby, right? A little baby. And I have noticed that babies are particularly good at a couple of things making noise, eating, and getting the food out. That's what they're good at. And I've noticed that baby believers are really good at a couple of things rejoicing in the goodness of God. But you know what, there is, there is a time where we're beginning to grow. When we come into the kingdom of heaven, we are like those little ones. And the Lord says to us, this is very important. He says, now listen. He's continuing in this line of who wants to be the greatest in in the kingdom and then how do we become the greatest in the kingdom and then how does that kingdom work? Jesus came and he preached the gospel of the kingdom so every time that he's talking, he's giving us definition to what his kingdom looks like so he begins to extrapolate this thought. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's what this is all about. How How do you operate in the kingdom of heaven? In other words, Lord, who most releases your will on earth As a part of your kingdom. And he begins to answer that question. He says, he who will humble himself and become teachable. And then he begins to lay it out. Now some of these little ones, I care a whole lot about these little ones. And I'm telling you, bunch of scholars, I'm telling all y'all who consider yourself really good at what you do, I want you to measure your heartbeat. I want you to measure your application. I want you to come and let this be the standard where you check to see if you're a great part of my kingdom. If you're fulfilling these things in my kingdom. Are you guys with me still? And so he starts to break it down. And he says, your father loves everybody. He loves everybody. And then he says, if one of these, he says, take heed that you don't despise one of these little ones. Because I'm telling you, your father in heaven, their angels always see the face of of your father. And he goes, and if they go away, he goes after them which means I want you to go after them. I want you to value them. It is not the will of the Father that any of these should perish. And then it it gets kind of weird. Honestly, I think he got confused. I think Jesus got confused because then he went from talking about these little ones getting offended and he goes straight into this. So I'm gonna just unpack this and let's see if we can set Jesus straight. Moreover if your brother sins against you go and tell him your his fault between you and him and if he hears you you've gained your brother but if he'll not hear take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established in other words bring somebody else because communication is hard and it's easier if you have someone else there to remind you what you just said or maybe to unpack the way that they just said it Come on. How many of you wish that you would just just follow that second direction for once in your life? Wouldn't that be great? Let's just have a Selah moment right now. Like, God, why didn't I do that? But if he won't hear, take with you one or two more. So we just did that. Um, And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to hear the church, then let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So wait a minute. I thought we were talking about little children. Take heed. You don't despise one of these little ones. All right, we're with it. What do you think? If a man has 100 sheep, one of them leaves. Okay, we're tracking Jesus. Okay, you love the little ones. Good, because little ones don't hurt my feelings. They're just innocent little babies. He's talking about kids. Who's going to stay mad at a kid? You know what? Come on. I mean, you guys have seen on the milk carts. We're all fulfilling this, right? A kid disappears, we put it on the milk carton. Now we have iPhones. You can get little updates. We're actually really good at this, right? When little kids get lost, we go find them. Let's just pray. We're done, right? This lesson's over. But then he says something really weird. He immediately then says, so if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Wait, hold on. Wait a minute, Jesus. Are you not talking about kids anymore? <laughs> hold on. I don't think he's talking about kids anymore. Let me say something. We're going we're to go a little further here. The kingdom of heaven is based on a good father. Amen? Amen? The good father showed showed himself to be such and proved it through the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is that correct? I mean, he showed his intentions for us. First John says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It, It also says, this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. All right, are we starting to see this? So if, the, if, the, if we look at what the Father has done, we begin to see that the Father who has established honor as one of his core values, it's the greater that honors the lesser. Step one. The Father sends Jesus to honor us while we don't even acknowledge him yet because he has no desire that any should leave, right? It says our Father... Right here it says, "Oop, there we go, right there. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who's in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So, and we know then, John 3, 16, it says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So we know that the will of the Father is that none of us should perish. Now here's the interesting thing. The word also says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but our father had desire that none should perish right but all should have everlasting life therefore the father and the son opted to honor us while we were dishonoring him the greater honors the lesser the creator honored the created and then he said and if you will honor me by accepting my son and the justice that he brought say justice the justice that he brought on our behalf. You, because You see, we all fell short of the standard of love. We have all become proud and been our own gods, have we not? We have taken and opted to determine our own reality and the way to live life. And in the moment that we did that, through, be it through ignorance or arrogance, and I do believe if we search our heart, it's usually the second, we fell short of the standard of the heart and love of a good father. And so the greater honored the lesser, the creator honored the created and said, I extend to you through my blood the opportunity to honor me back and I will restore you to the standard. And I did not lower the standard, I will restore you to it. Are you guys with me? Honor creates honor. You see, he didn't come and say, you honor me because I'm bigger than you. No, he came, he's a good father. He has the power, he could have done that, but he's good, so he didn't do that. He's good and he came and he said, I I am the greatest value for you. I've created you to be a part of my family. You've fallen short of my glory. You've established your own kingdom and your values. You've justified yourself in your own eyes. You, you are in need Of a good father, and you're in need of being restored to the standard. And I know what I created. I know what I created you to be and who you are. You were created to be a son and a daughter, but you've fallen short of that. And so, the way that I'm going to restore you to the standard, because I cannot lower the standard, because that's not who I am. I'm a good father. A good father doesn't just lower the standard. Quit hitting your sister. Quit hitting your sister. Quit it. Okay, fine. You know what? It's actually good to hit your sister. Good job. Hit your sister. Hit your sister. Many of us are, we want a gospel like that. You have same-sex attraction? No problem then, just marry each other. We'll just change the standard. It just means love now. Do you know why God has forbidden same-sex marriage? This is a little, this wasn't in my preach, but, but I just want to give you just one small encouragement here. The reason why God forbids same-sex marriage is because God made us in his image male and female. And he desires that the fullness of his image in in the perfect standard, but truly within marriage, that his image be the demonstration that the children see as they grow up, seeing male and female working together, that they would see the glory of God revealed in two becoming one. You see, God didn't just make man in his image. He didn't just make woman in his image. He made them both in his image. And his desire for marriage is that it be the standard of unity as the two become one and demonstrate the personality and the character and the anointing and the giftings of the Father and who he is. He doesn't hate people that, that sin. He loves sinners. But he's saying, listen, I created something beautiful, and I don't want you to change it. And if you're someone that's here and you struggle with same-sex attraction, I want you to know something. Your temptation is the same temptation that every one of us faces. It's not a special temptation. It's not something that says this is my identity and it's different than what you understand. No, it's the same thing that that I as an alcoholic felt when I I had to drink. It's the same thing that, that, that others who have other temptations, it's in the same list as those that str- struggle with gluttony where they're just like, I need to eat. I need to satisfy this particular uh, thing, this good thing that God gave me. How many of you know sex is good? In the wrong way. I'm going to take this good thing and I'm going I'm to apply it in a way that God didn't design. And it's just simply the temptation of the enemy. And I just want to, I want to release some freedom to you right now, because in the church, in the house of God, oftentimes for us that follow the Lord, it's almost like it's weird, but we end up rating sin. It's like, well, this is bad, but this is worse. But Jesus, he just puts it all on the same list. He goes, hey, look, any of these are enough to kill you. All this right here, it's all short of my glory. Don't do these things because they don't release heaven. They don't release my best for you. But if you're in that place and, the, and shame is owning you right now, I feel like this is for a couple of people. If shame is owning you right now because you're like, oh no, I've got the really bad temptation. No, you don't. You have the same temptation that's common to man. It just happens to be that flavor. Are you with me? Okay. Really, really good heroin and not so great heroin. They're both heroin. Don't do them. All right. All right. get back on point I feel like that is on point the the so so if if whatever our deal is that we're that we're suffering with that we're tempted by that we're giving into that we've been meditating on that we've been uh practicing in our hearts what have you Jesus says you know the sin begins in your heart and then the father says I want to restore you to me and so he says I'm going to do this I'm going to restore you by honoring you before you honor me and so the, so the Son of God comes and serves us by carrying our cross, by taking our lashes, and by dying a death that every single one of us deserves to die. Now that seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? Like, I deserve to die on a cross, Lord? Our accumulated, our accumulated sin all came together upon the Messiah. But every one of us, there's a great quote by C.S. Lewis, every one of us at some point when we stand before the Lord will hear one of two things. Either we will say to the Lord, thy will be done, or the Lord will say to us, thy will be done. Either one is eternal. If we've eternally chosen something other than God at the end of this time when we stand before him, he won't say, to hell with you, you worthless dirtbag. He'll say, I extended to you, my love, your entire life on earth, and you said, I do not want you, God. I will not serve you. I do not like you. And at the end, in that time, he will just simply say, thy will be done. It was never mine. Mine's written in the blood of my son. I wrote you a love letter. I carved it into my hand, and you would not have it. And so I will simply respect the the choice that you've made and I'll just say to you, thy will be done. And he will not say it with joy. The judgment day will be joy in the sense of the Lord reconciling us through the blood, but it will be a sad day because the Father takes no joy in telling those that reject him, thy will be done. So the greater honors the lesser. This is what honor looks like. And Jesus says then, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If your brother does to you what you've all done to me, go to him alone and say, dude, dude. And then he'll be like, dude. And then you'll be like, dude. 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 That's Bible. <laughs> if you don't understand that, bring someone else. <laughs> That's the second part. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more. Now, what is he saying? You've extended honor. And I think all of us have done that. We've gone to somebody, and maybe we've done a really good job. Maybe we haven't. I don't know. But we went to them, and it didn't go well. Okay, how many of you have had that happen? I went to him; and it didn't go well. Come on, it's cathartic. Raise your hand. That's good. Doesn't it just, just to know, like, oh, I just thought I was horrible at this. You're all horrible at it. I know because I've come to all of you. I'm just kidding. Um, That wasn't funny. It's just mean and not true. Okay. So then you bring someone with you to establish it, to say, you know what? We didn't get through this. I, I wanted to love you. I wanted to reconcile with you. And it didn't go well. Maybe... Maybe it was my fault, maybe it was your fault. It doesn't matter. This isn't about whose fault it is. This is about me honoring you because you are worthy of respect and honor because you're made in my dad's image. You're either a son in this house or you're a dad in this house. You're either a mother in this house or you're a daughter in this house. But either way, I love you. And Jesus said he will not be happy until we go find the one who strayed off. And how do we know they strayed off? Because we had a fight with them and they left. Or they got offended and they left. And so you go after them and you say, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, hey. We belong together. We're family. This is the heart of God. And we extend honor. Honor chases down people that don't care what you think anymore. And, it, and, and I actually kind of wish I would have done this, but just, just for the effect, I wish I would have went ahead and put these all in red because this is all Jesus' words. This isn't even like, You know, like sometimes we're like, well, that was just Paul. You know, he was having a bad day. (laughs) This is straight up Jesus right here. He says, You want to know how to live? You want to know how to be the greatest? Go forgive people. Go make peace with them. If he refuses, go again before the church. Now, here's something that's interesting that happens. We are so cute sometimes, aren't we? We're so cute. We are just so cute. And what do I mean by cute? I mean we're smart, but not like good smart. We're naughty smart sometimes. We're naughty smart. We figure out ways. I'll tell you a little story. Okay. Uh, King of the Hill. How many of you like King of the Hill? I love King of the Hill. It is such good writing. So you guys all, Peg is, is Hank's wife, and she's a... Ridiculously arrogant woman, it's hilarious. Anyway, and so she always has to be best at everything. She's totally, she's a sweetheart, but she has to win. She's very competitive. Anyway, she's a substitute teacher, and so she's teaching at a Catholic school. And so she's at the Catholic school, obviously not real up on, on the deal. And they're talking about fasting, and so she's trying to teach on fasting in the Catholic school, and one of the students raises their hand and says, well, what if I fast from reading the scripture? And Peg goes, I'm not sure that was the spirit of the message, but good job getting him on a technicality. (laughs) We laugh because we all do this nonsense, don't we? Are you guys getting ready? Here it comes. We get cute. You see, in the body of Christ, we hurt each other. We make mistakes. We poke each other in the eye. We say things the wrong way. We, we hurt those that we didn't want to hurt, but, but we do it, we do it, you know? I remember playing basketball one time, and uh, we all went up, and I went up for the rebound, and I came down, and they had the ball, and their elbow just bam, right in the nose. There's a special kind of pain when you come down and you catch an elbow. Jason is like, did he really play basketball? Yes, I did. <laughs> Clearly not well, and after that I stopped, but anyway. And just that, that, that elbow right in the face. And I'm like, and, and you just, you just, because what are you going to do? They didn't mean to do it. You want to punch them in the face, but you can't. You were just playing the game and you caught an elbow. And so you stop bleeding and, and then you work through it and then you get back in the game. And we get that. But when we're here playing together and we hurt one of these little ones or we're the little one that gets hurt, then we say, well, yeah, you're not supposed to hurt children, but I'm me, and you hurt me, and you're a somebody in this house, and you should know better. And so you should come to me. Does anybody want to raise their hand? We come up with these new rules that we we write them in. Jesus said, if your brother offends you, go to them. If it doesn't work, take somebody else and go to them. If it still doesn't work, bring them in front of the church. What's he saying? You do whatever it takes. Jesus says, if they still won't hear you, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. But I'm telling you, baby, very few of us actually give anybody the chance to work through this whole thing. We just go straight to the pagan or the tax collector. We're like, I went to him once, and I was like, I don't know, man, but that wasn't right wasn't cool and we're not usually talking to them we're like so you should tell them (laughs) if we've actually made it to the third step most of the problems we have right now and issues that we have with those in authority or other christians or those hypocrites or whatever kind of wound we're carrying right now would have been worked out but we didn't do this did we and we're walking around saying i don't understand why christians are so lame I don't understand how come nobody's faithful. I don't understand blah, 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 blah. I've got a wound. I've got a wound. I've got a wound. And Jesus says, come unto me because I actually can heal your wound because I know exactly what it's like to be wounded. In fact, I took your punishment. And so he continues. Are you guys with me? So Peter gets it. Peter's like, oh, no, I see where he's going with this. I love Peter. He's so yappy and zealous and saying dumb things and then saying brilliant things. (laughs) Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? See, Peter sees where it's going. He's like, we're talking about greatest. I think Peter asked, hey, Lord, how do I be the greatest? He's like, Peter, let me tell you. I'm like a kid. He's like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, teachable, yes, yes. Forgive people. (sighs) All right, how often then? He says up to seven times. Jesus says to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven, that's 490. (laughs) The word also says as long as it is today, do not harden your heart. So that's 490 a day. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, I mean, you'd have to pay somebody to get them to offend you that often in one day. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like Jesus just keeps twisting the knife. He's like, I'm going to the cross. I'm getting my money's worth. Okay? I'm going to go to the cross on your behalf. I'm getting my money's worth. There's no, you're not going to get me on a technicality. Because my end game is that I don't want anybody to get pulled out of the family. You see, you're not the evil one. You're not the evil one. The evil one's the evil one. Do you know what the evil one's nickname is? Accuser of the brethren. He's the one that goes, they should have known better. They've been walking with Jesus for like 50 years, some Christian there. I wonder if anybody's a Christian except for you. You're just one of those dear little ones, and they offended you. They, I'm, you know what? We ought to go out and find a millstone. Where do you get a millstone these days? <laughs> Jesus, I just pray your scriptures be done unto those people that offended me. <laughs> so he says, 490 times a day. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which is a lifetime. It's several lifetimes worth of wages. Okay, that's the point. Several lifetimes worth of wages. But as he was not able to pay, go figure, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And then the master of the servant was moved with compassion because the guy was insane because how could he pay him back as several lifetimes worth that he owed? But he did release him and forgave him the debt. This is the amplified version I'm reading to you. <laughs> but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, which is like, what is it, a week's wages. And he, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe! And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And what's amazing is this guy actually could. I just think that's interesting. And he wouldn't. He went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. And so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And he came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he'd called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And so my heavenly father also will do if you, if each of, I'm sorry, and so my heavenly father also will do to each of you, if you from your heart do not forgive your brother his trespasses. Satan has a right to torture you unless you will forgive from the heart. God does not torture. God doesn't torture. He's a good dad. But if you will say, my will be done, in the face of forgiveness, Satan has legal right, as you're denying the blood of Jesus, to come into your life and begin to exact payment from you. And how many of you know that the only reason why we're not under the curse, the curse that was given to Abraham and the curse that was given in the law is because of the blood of Jesus. You see, we, we have a little issue here. We deserve to be punished. I want you to understand something, beautiful, amazing family of God. That sense of justice that comes on you when you're wronged, where you're like, somebody ought to punish you, is actually correct. Your first instinct of like, somebody needs to give you a spanking that is messed up what you did. Who, Who's on spanking duty? I need some justice over here. That is okay. That is okay. Because you know what? God doesn't lower the standard. See, they broke the standard. I broke the standard. You broke the standard. He didn't lower it and say, oh, don't worry about it. Standards are so old school. No, 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 no. He said, you're absolutely right. Somebody does need to be punished. And he said, I'll do it. I'll take it. I'll take your punishment. I'll take that punishment. I'll take that punishment. I'll take that punishment. I'll take that punishment. I'll take your punishment. I'll take what you deserve. You deserve to be punished and I will take it because here's what I want. I don't want one single one of you to not be reconciled to me and my father. I will not have it. I will not allow anything, neither height, nor death nor width, nor breadth, nor torture, nor pain, nor death, nor anything Nothing will separate me from you. My love is going to get through, and I'm going to take your punishment because I will not lower the standard, but I will fulfill it with my own blood. So that sense that somebody needs to get punished is absolutely right, but it must be immediately followed with an immense, immense amount of humility as you become like a child and say, dear God, you took my punishment. You took the punishment for that. that that, I can't demand it from you because Jesus already took it and I can't make you pay for something that he already paid for. Do you see that? Do you see justice has been served and we're still demanding justice? God, give me justice. What should he add? You see, he says, if you would be the greatest in heaven, then you'll catch my father's heart and you will become one of those that says, This person that keeps hurting me, they're a lost sheep. They've strayed away. They've forgotten how to honor. They've forgotten how to humble themselves. But you know what? That's okay. I know what to do because I've I've watched what you do, Jesus. You go to the cross for them. So I'm going to take up my cross, and I'm going to follow you out where you are. And you know where he is? With the one who's hurting. I tried to say offended and hurting at the same time. Hurdened they hurting, Jesus is with those. See, that's where he is, and he wants you to catch it. He wants you to catch that, that the greater honors the lesser. And in that moment, if someone's offended and they're not coming to you, well, that's okay. It just means that it's your turn to humble yourself and go. If you find out somebody's offended with you, just go, go try to work it out. And if they won't hear you and they say, you know what, it's fine, it's all good, I don't need you anymore, then you say, whoa, whoa, I didn't realize it was that bad because I need you. I need you because I need you. We're part of the family of God. God is not rejoicing in you leaving. He's not going, I always knew that they were evil inside. He knows we're all evil inside. That's why he died. So we'd be born again because the truth is we're the ones that are, that are, that are giving into temptation. And the enemy's tempting us all along. Don't forgive, don't forgive, don't forgive. They should have to do it. You don't have to do anything. But I tell you the truth, everybody in this house should be running in directions at each other. Those that were offended and those that offended. And you should be meeting in the middle because the minute you read the words of Jesus, nobody's innocent anymore. You found out they're offended, go to them. You're offended, go to them. You heard about somebody who got offended, go to both of them. Somebody spelled offended, Find somebody who is. I don't know about that last one. Do you guys hear this? You see, this is not a suggestion. This, this, this is what Jesus Christ paid for. He made this possible. This isn't a cute little thing that we do. You see, if we will simply just do this, we could stick together long enough to see some orphans come in and see what sons and daughters look like, see what what a family looks like, see what mothers and fathers look like. Yes, we've hurt each other, but we're a family, and so we work it out. We work through it, and we don't leave and say, God be glorified. I'm just going a different direction. God be glorified. He, He must just have something different for me than being with my family. He must just be calling me to something else. And then what's our testimony? We didn't kill each other? You want a prize for that? Imagine having like a trophy filled with, like like a trophy room filled with all the trophies of what you didn't do. I didn't lust. You're going to put that up on your mantle? (laughs) I didn't kill anyone. No, no, no. Here's the trophy I want that you're in my living room, that we have a living room, and that we're in it together. We're going to take communion today. And I want to read to you, if I can find it, in Corinthians. And what what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together today. And uh, if the ushers could come, I want you to go ahead and start passing out the elements. Um, And I I want you to wait. I, I want us to... I wanna, we're going to wait for each other today, and we're going to take this together at the same time. And, and I want to read this to you because the truth is every single one of us has hope and peace and love and a family, not because we've done what's right, but because the Father honored us before we honored him. And now we're going to respond and we're going to honor him. But as we're living, as we're living together, Jesus just laid out so clearly, when he said, when you receive one of these little ones, you receive me. And, and I, want, I want us to catch this. You see, you can't receive him if you won't receive these little ones. You don't receive the Father and not receive a family. And I don't have time to go into 1 John, but he says, If you say you love God who you cannot see, and yet you do not love your neighbor, if you do not love those you can see, then you're a liar and you don't love God. Because you can't love what's invisible if it's not manifesting in what's visible. Now this is an intense thing, and by the virtue of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus, it's possible to work through. If I can't be kind to you in my heart, I have not forgiven you. If I can't be kind to you and treat you with respect, then I have not forgiven you. If I can't see you and not have a sense of God's heart towards you, forgiveness is not yet complete. I'm asking you to do an impossible thing. Jesus is requiring we do an impossible thing. He's requiring that we actually forgive to the point where we actually want you to be with us with the Father. It's a whole lot different than this idea of you do your thing, I'll do my thing, we'll reconcile in heaven. That's not what he had in mind. In fact, he said, if you stuck around, good for you. That's awesome. But my Father delights even more when we go get the offended person and bring them back. Are you guys hearing this? This is only possible by the activity of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ, but Jesus refuses to lower the standard. There is a peace that passes understanding that's available through the presence of the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done that will keep your heart even in those situations where it's no longer, you are no longer capable of trying to reconcile with someone, okay? There are things that are outside of your control right now. There are certain situations. I, I, I don't, I don't wanna spend a whole lot of time giving you an excuse to explain away why you don't need to go and do what you know you need to do according to the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, okay? So this is, a, this is like probably 2% of you that this word is for, the second part I'm about to give. Okay, so the rest of you, I want you to just stay squirming under the glorious, beautiful, overwhelming love of a father who paid everything so he could have you and catch his heart and go, I want to do that for you, Lord. I want to be a part of reconciling your people back to you. I want to be a part of forgiving ultimate things like how, you, how you've how you done. I want, to, I want to be on your team, Lord. I get it. Okay, that's where you need to stay. There are a couple of us that you're in a situation That is completely outside of your control to be able to reconcile. They are, they are, whether they're addicted or whether they're dangerous, they're not someone you can restore trust and and um, and a free like freedom in that relationship yet. Okay, if that's the case, what's available for you is to walk through forgiveness in your heart and call upon the Father to give you by virtue of his Holy Spirit the peace that passes all understanding, which guards your heart. There's a peace and a contentment that comes from the Father's heart that will keep you even even in the midst of that pending situation with that person. That's available for you. But it's only available for you if you forgive them from your heart. Do you understand this? And there's some people here today that need that today. You need to be able to, number one, you, you, you have to repent because you've become bitter and hard and you've said, well, it's just how it is. I've extended, I've extended forgiveness a thousand times. They haven't changed, blah, 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 and you've become bitter. And it's cynicism. It's not, it's not contentment and peace. It's just good old-fashioned cynicism and unforgiveness. And the Lord wants you to repent and he wants to replace that cynicism. He wants to replace that sorrow with his peace that passes understanding and it will carry you through and I don't know if you'll be reconciled to that person on this earth, but I know that the Father will carry you and his desires that it would, okay? For the rest of us, we must forgive as he forgave. We must reconcile as he reconciles. I just think about how lavish he is with us. When we repent, how immediate his presence is. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed when you repent to the Lord? I'm talking personally. Let's just say one of you drank too much. One of us ate too much. One of us, you know, got involved in some lust or did some, went too far with our girlfriend and we've, and we've repented now. We're saying, okay, Lord, we're not gonna get in that situation again. We're not gonna push that line. Okay, Father, forgive us. And we're, we're you know, we restore it. And it's immediate. It's immediate. It's like his presence. Woof. I'm back. I'm right here. I never went away, but you've opened up and here I am. I've restored you to the standard. It's so immediate. He doesn't say, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to set up a coffee. We're going to meet. Then we're going to wait a few weeks. And if you don't offend me, we'll have another coffee. And at that point, maybe a sandwich. But I'm not going to make any promises because I don't trust you. Okay? I'm just saying the Father's standard is pretty extraordinary with how quickly He comes back, restores the standard, and starts giving you the benefit of the doubt. And many of us have written cute little laws that protect us, which they don't, but we think they protect us from getting hurt again. I just want to help you. I want to help you right now. I want to give you some freedom. You're going to get hurt again. You're going to get hurt again. But the one who was wounded can heal you completely every time you get hurt. He'll heal you completely so it's not foolish to extend again the benefit of the doubt. And why do we do it? Because dad keeps doing it. And so I just want you, I just want you to now take those demigods of the areas where you're right and lay them at the foot of Jesus and forgive from the heart. And those places where you're offended Lay it before Jesus. And those places where you've offended, lay it before Jesus. And then after we're done, go to that person and make it right. And if it doesn't go good, then say, look, I'm sorry, I botched that up. That didn't go all the way I thought it would. I honestly thought you were gonna be encouraged after this meeting, and I can see instead you're furious. And I just wanna repent again. Who is any person that you could think of, let's bring a couple people in and mediate because we've got to fix this because we're family. And dad won't be happy until we fix this. And he's not going to be happy with our cute little Christianese. We get along in the kingdom, but we don't like each other and we're in the store now. That's not what he's talking about. Are you guys with me? I'm going to read this. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You see, when we proclaim the death of Christ, it reminds us, What it cost for us to be forgiven. You see, it's so it's such reconciliation when we take the supper together. Because it reminds us we're not here because we're good. We're here because he's good. And the more that we're with him, the gooder it gets. But lest we forget we're not here because we were good. And we're not keeping ourselves here because we're perfect. We're keeping ourselves here only by the blood and the grace of God. So it, res- it restores humility, doesn't it? It's kind of hard to be mad at somebody else when I'm drinking the blood of Jesus that was poured out for my sins. And therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. So what I want us to do right now, I can't think of anything that could possibly be more important. I want us to take just a moment before we eat this and let's let the Holy Spirit search our hearts. And I want you to set in your heart as the Lord brings something up, if there's something that you need to do, if there's something that you need to do, I want you to repent. And I want you to purpose in your heart, Lord, I come back under your lordship. I humble myself like a child. I receive your kingdom, your rule, your reign, your rules. And I'm gonna forgive from the heart. And there's gonna be some action steps for probably most of us. And you purpose in your heart, Lord forgive me because this is what I've done. This is where I've stayed. This is where I was wrong. This is who I need to speak to. And then when your heart is clean because of repentance, then let us drink the blood that was poured out for us with a pure conscience, because we hold no ill will, nor offense, nor unforgiveness against any man or woman. Amen. So we're just going to take just a moment. Thank you so much, Terry. we repent of the sin of pride where we've said in our heart if only those who had offended us had done it the right way then I would not be offended. Forgive us Lord for determining when we will and won't offer forgiveness. We stand guilty Lord but when we repent it's because of your blood that we're forgiven God so none of us None of us is proud. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different here. When you're ready and your heart is clean, I want you to stand up. And we're not in any kind of hurry. We're not trying to put pressure but we're gonna wait because everyone in this house is so precious and we will not go on without you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you for redemption, for mercy and grace, Lord. We did not get what we deserve. We got what you deserve. Give us the grace that we need. God, strengthen us where we're weak. Lord, we just, we cannot do this without you. It's by your stripes that we're healed. Holy Spirit, give us the, the grace and the strength to be able to forgive things that we've held on to, Lord. To, to be able to, we can't pull ourselves out of this. Will you pull us out? Are we ready? All right. This is my body which was broken for you, that you may be healed. Take and eat. And this is my blood which was poured out for your forgiveness, and reconciliation to the Father, poured out as payment for all sin, from Adam and Eve to the blood of Abel throughout all of time. No punishment remains because Christ took it all. Lord, we do this in remembrance of you. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to look him in the eye, and I want you to tell him, I love you, and I need you. love you, and I need you. God bless